Father, as we come to the portion of our worship service where we turn our attention to your holy word, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. The Holy Spirit, you would move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. And that, Father, this morning what goes forward would be what you would have to go forward. Spirit, I I ask that you would close my mouth, any of my thoughts or my words, but may you speak through me this morning in spite of myself. Father, we need to hear from you. We are desperate for your word and for the truth that is found in it that we might be encouraged, Father. Some of us, Lord, are walking through such seasons of discouragement, and Lord, we need for your courage from your spirit to be placed inflamed into our hearts. We need comfort, Lord. There are so many who are hurting and who are sick, and we pray that you would comfort us. But, Lord, so often we vary from where we should go. We, we turn aside from the path we should follow. We also, Lord, we need to be convicted. We need to be challenged by your word that we might find ourselves faithful and true to who you are and what you've done for us. The most amazing thing, God, is that all this is possible through reading, preaching, proclaiming your word. Would you move among us now? Would you teach us? Would you enlighten us? As we, your children, sit humbly at your throne, seeking to hear from you, our King and our Master. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John will be in chapter 3. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you this morning, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's Word, feel free to take one of those from the back of the pew in front of you as our gift to you. You can keep that and we'll be happy to replenish it before next week. But whether you are accessing the word of the Lord in a digital format or in print, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we turn to the gospel of John chapter three, beginning in verse 25. I'll read for us, and when I have completed this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and I encourage you to respond with the words, thanks be to God. The word of the Lord says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. 
He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage this morning as we continue along in our sermon series where we are looking at what it means to make disciples. If we are growing up as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, what should our lives look like? Our command that we were given from Jesus before he ascended, we've already read together this morning. It was from Matthew, and he says, go therefore and make disciples. That is the only verb, the only imperative in the great commandment, the great commission, sending us out. Go make disciples. But truly, what is a disciple? As we have already said these last two weeks, a disciple is a lifelong learner, someone who is a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. This is someone who seeks to emulate and imitate all that Jesus was and is and forever will be in our own lives. As we do that, we see that the fruit of the Spirit will become more evident in our lives. That's from Scripture, Galatians chapter 5. If we are following Jesus, if we are lifelong learners and disciples, then we will be more joyful, more loving, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, and more self-controlled. Those are things that will just begin to happen in our lives. But what does that look like in a practical setting? What are the practical outworkings of the fruit of the Spirit? And so we have been following along with a pastor friend of mine, Ken Adams, who gave seven M's. Remember, our seven M's. There are seven things that a disciple of Christ should exemplify in their lives as they are following Jesus, being a lifelong learner, a lifelong follower. We should be members That's the first and the foremost. Everything else, like we talked about last week, flows from being connected to a community of Jesus followers. There is no context within Scripture for someone to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, and not have a community of believers around them. So the rest of these all flow from the context of living within the community of faith. Now, it doesn't give a specific denomination. It doesn't give a specific what church you have to be a part of. But if we are part of the church, we will also be part of a local church. Then we move into a magnifier, a minister, maturing, a manager, a messenger, and lastly, a multiplier. All seven of these M's fit into our mission as a church. We seek to glorify God. We exist to glorify God by believing in Jesus. Before any of these things can happen, we have to believe in Jesus. As we become his disciples, 
These are the things that will start to happen and show out in our lives. We will be a member of a church. We will magnify the name of Jesus. We will minister to our community and to one another. We will mature in our faith. We'll then be good managers. We'll grow in being a good manager of our household, of our time, of our talent, of our financial resource. Then we'll be messengers. We will get out the message of Jesus. He trusted the message to us, so we must be the ones who are messengers. And then that last B in our statement of mission is to build God's kingdom. That's what it means to be a multiplier. We're truly not a disciple of Jesus Christ if we don't go out and make more disciples. Jesus made disciples. He commanded us to go out and make disciples. We cannot truthfully call ourselves followers of Jesus, lifelong learners, disciples chasing after him if we're not making more disciples. And so this week, we're going to focus on that second M, being a magnifier. What does it mean to be a magnifier? Well, we we can look in history. The the word magnify, it's it's been kind of taken and changed and misshapen and and torn in different ways. We, We think of magnifying glasses, right? What does a magnifying glass do? It makes a small thing look much bigger. Interestingly enough, in the 1500s, when the telescope was so popular as a new invention, the microscope showed up about the same time, right? The telescope and the microscope both serve the same purpose. The telescope helps us make small things in the sky bigger and closer to us. The microscope helps make small things that we can't see bigger to us to where we can see that our water is actually teeming with gross bacteria that should be boiled away. That was one of the biggest benefits of the microscope. People realized... Oh my goodness, there are little tiny organisms living in the water. we got to do something about this. Until then, they had no idea. The, the water tasted muddy, it tasted weird, but they didn't see the actual particles. That's the idea of magnification. Taking something and making it great, making it big. Has anybody ever been to a graduation service where somebody graduates and they have, you know, a graduate cum laude, they have a, a graduate that's uh, magna cum laude, they have graduates who are summa cum laude. Those are all um, the, the actual Greek, not, not Greek, the Latin words that mean with praise. Loud, laude is, is just praise. I know the joke is, you know, there's those of us who graduated, thank you, laude, right? That's the thank you, Lordy. I, I know it's the tired old joke, but there it is. Magna cum laude is with great praise, with great celebration, with high honors. Then summa cum laude is with the sum of all praises and honors. So when we talk about being a magnifier, it's there's with praise, then there's with great praise. This idea of magnification is taking something small and making it big, making it great, making it overshadow everything else. When you look in that microscope, all of those tiny organisms become your entire field of vision. When you look in that telescope, you go from seeing everything around here to seeing just that star. For all of my deer hunters, when you look through the scope of that rifle, you go from seeing everything in the woods to seeing that kill shot, right? You, you look for where those crosshairs meet, for where that dot might be in the center. And the deer becomes great 
in your vision. And nothing else exists other than this shot, this deer, right now. Until you notice that it's just a spike and it doesn't have enough points. And you're like, nah, I'll let him grow up a little bit. I'll catch him next time, right? Or maybe you just need the meat and so you, you kill a doe. This is the idea of what a Christian does throughout the rest of their life. We are to be telescopes. We are to be microscopes, magnifying glasses, that through the rest of our lives, we decrease in size. Our concerns and the things that bother us and stress us fade away, and our vision becomes more tunnel vision focused on making Jesus Christ a big deal, making God the greatest thing in our lives. And we read this passage from the Gospel of John, because this is what John's whole life was. Everybody flocked to John the Baptist. He was not in a prime location. He didn't pick the best spot next to the McDonald's on the interstate where everybody passes by. He went out into the wilderness to nowhere. He wasn't dressed really fancy and nice. He didn't have the latest Jordans. He didn't have the nicest threads. He didn't have all the fancy three-piece suits. He was wearing camel hair and a leather belt. It wasn't even fun to eat with John the Baptist because this is the guy who made a diet of locusts and wild honey. If you wanted to sit down and get to know John over a meal, he's taking a dead bug, dipping it in honey, and crunching it in his mouth. I, I, just, I, I couldn't have a meal with the man. There's nothing attractive about John the Baptist. And yet people flocked to him. They came from all over Judea. He had thousands of people listening to his sermons and he was telling them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And kings would ask him for advice. This is how John the Baptist's life comes to an end, right? He, he speaks the truth to Herod about Herod marrying his brother's wife. This is a whole big scandal that goes on, and John is supposed to just go to him and say, Ah, don't worry, man, it'll be okay. But John the Baptist speaks the truth and loses his head for it. We have to understand that John's ministry skyrocketed. If John the Baptist were alive today, we would all be listening to his sermons when we get home. We would all be quoting him on Twitter. We would all be putting all of the little quibs that John the Baptist said out on all of our social medias. We'd have little clips of him on TikTok. He would be everywhere. And so his disciples come to him and there's this discussion about these baptisms and this purification. And in verse 26, they go to John and they're like, Rabbi, teacher, master, hey man, this guy that was with you across the Jordan, they're all going to him. But you're the one that baptized him, John. Man, this ain't right. You should be the one that everybody's running out to. You should be the one that everybody goes to because you're the one that baptized him. What does John the Baptist say? He has every opportunity to try and usurp Jesus, to try and be the top dog, to try and go, you know what, guys? Y'all are right. It is about time that they recognize me and I get mine. How many of us would that have been our response? Hey, I want you to know something. That Jesus guy may be important, but let me tell you what. My life matters. My life's important. My problems and the things going on in my life, they are important. People need to know about me. What does John say? None of that matters. None of it matters. A person cannot receive 
Not even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves were witnesses when I said, John tells them, I am not the Christ. He's yelling at people. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the anointed one. I'm the one going before him. And then in verse 30, these epic words that just ring through our own lives. Verse 30, he must increase. Jesus must increase. We must magnify Jesus and I must decrease. I must become smaller. My problems, my life is nothing in comparison to what Jesus wants to do with my life, in my life, through my life. To the point that I disappear and all that people can see when they look at me is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that people see when they look through the magnifying glass held up to my life. This is not just something that John the Baptist says. There are plenty of other places in the New Testament. Turn with me later in the Gospel of John, just a couple pages over probably, to chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 19. John chapter 5, verse 19. Even Jesus is trying to magnify the Father in the midst of his own ministry. Jesus himself is directing attention to God and making a big deal of what God is doing through him, even though he is God. John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, Truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. His constant mission was to direct people that the way to get to God was through Him. Even in Jesus' life, He's pointing to heaven. He's pointing to the Father, magnifying the Father. Turn one more page over probably to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 38. Part of our Sunday school lesson today. John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then our idea of what we should do with our lives should slowly fade and the focus should be completely upon what God would have us to do. God sent Jesus to earth with a mission. He was here to fulfill his mission. He did not do his own will. He did the will of the Father. John the Baptist the same way. It was not his will, it was the will of the Father that he be the forerunner, that he fade out and Jesus becomes center stage. And Jesus is still pointing people to the Father. Everything about these men that we seek to emulate as disciples pointed away from themselves and pointed to God. And I just wonder in our lives, is that what we do? Is that my lifestyle? Is that your lifestyle to make a big deal about what I do and who I am and what my problems are and how important I am in this community and in this church and in whatever else you may want to add into that? Look at me. Make me feel important. I'm number one. Or do our lives consistently reflect that God himself is number one, that we continue to decrease and he continues 
to increase? Are we here to establish our legacy so that people might remember us for years and years to come? Or are we here that people might forget who we are and only remember Jesus? It is a tough temptation to fight. Even Jesus' disciples thought about this. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 18. His disciples now, his followers, his learners, his apprentices, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The fact that they ask the question is all we need to know, right? The fact that they've got to come to Jesus and be like, all right, let's settle the score, Jesus. Who's the best? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because if ever there was a right answer, it isn't any of them, right? It's nobody in this room either. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It is God. It is Jesus himself. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they have the audacity of asking the one who is the greatest, who's the greatest. Is this not us? Is this not you? Is this not me? Jesus, am I not the greatest servant that you've ever had? Am I not the most important person to your mission and your kingdom in this world? Doesn't the world revolve around me, Jesus? Doesn't the sun rise and set upon my schedule and my timetable, Jesus? Who is the greatest? And what what does Jesus say? Oh, man, he just always puts us back in our place. And calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them. He said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to know who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is? It's the person who's not concerned with themselves. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the most humble among us. Those of us who are humble don't think less of ourselves. We just think of ourselves less. If we are humble, if I were a humble man, I wouldn't think less of myself. I would just think of myself less. I would think of Christ more. Jesus would be magnified in my life. He would increase and I would decrease. This is who is greatest. I know that it's upside down. I know that it doesn't make sense. But the most humble are the greatest. The ones who think of themselves less. The ones who decrease so that God can increase. Those are the greatest. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus also says, Luke chapter 22. This is, this is my favorite because it's separate. They were fighting that time, right? That's, that's a different account in Matthew. But Luke chapter 22, it literally says a dispute right there in verse 24. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24, it says a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Okay, all right. So we've settled the question with Jesus of who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. But Jesus, what about the greatest among us, right? What about the greatest among the disciples? I mean, surely one of us is greater than the other one, right? I mean, like, I'm more important than John over here, and Peter's more important than Thomas back there, right? I mean, like, 
Maybe there's a ranking among just us disciples. Do you see how even as Jesus answered the first question about all the kingdom of heaven, that still wasn't satisfactory. And we, just like these disciples, are so narcissistic and so self-centered and so focused on who we are and how great we've got to be and how much attention people have to pay to us that we ask this same question. What about among our church? Jesus, who's the greatest at Bethany Baptist Church here in Andalusia, Alabama? I want you to know, I'm, I know, I know some people and I know their sins and I, I think I might be better than them. I might sin less than them. That is a repugnant attitude. This is what the disciples asked. Who's the best in their church? Who's the most holy in their circle, in their community? And I just love Jesus' answer once again. Putting me in my place, putting them in their place. Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Verse 27, for who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? And yet, I am among you as the one who serves. You may want to know, why is a disciple of Christ a magnifier? Because Jesus was a magnifier. He was not the one who reclined at table. He was the one who served. Even Jesus Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This is the example we follow. We must decrease so that Christ might increase in our lives. It needs to permeate into every part of our being. We need to be those people that are always pointing to Jesus. Always pointing to how great God is in our lives. And yet, what is our conversation filled with? What do we talk about all day, every day? Doesn't it always seem like that the smallest portion, the smallest percentage of what we talk about ends up being Jesus? And if we looked at a whole week's worth of conversation with the amount of time that we're making a big deal and magnifying the Lord God Almighty would it even fill up the space of one day in your heart, in your life how much of your time is dedicated to making a big deal about Jesus to talking about Jesus I got a video that I want to show us okay it's, it's about three minutes long, and I want you to bear with it. This video is from 2011. In 2011, Tim Tebow made a, a miraculous kind of a comeback in the playoffs with the Broncos. He wasn't the starting quarterback. He, he wasn't making it onto the starting role. He got in there by happenstance, but he kept winning. And so they kept putting him back in there. And this is a game where he was playing the Bears and I want you to pay attention to what's happening in the game. And I want you to hear what he says in response to what's happening 
in the game. Let's watch together. around me and my teammates today and we go out there we get on you with everything we do and say I love you in Jesus name our God is an awesome God he went from heaven above with with what's up buddy how you doing man can I get a hug alright how you doing you remember me me and you at Florida I remember absolutely you think we're going to win today? Oh, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. All right, man. You be rooting us on, all right? Okay. Let's have a great one, all right? Stick together all 60 minutes. What is up? What is up? not telling us to be like Tim Tebow, okay? But it is amazing to me that throughout that whole game, he gets sacked, he gets tackled, he gets beat down, he throws an interception, the game's not looking good, and there's ne'er a negative word on his mouth, off his lips. His teammate drops a pass that would have given them the lead, would have been an easy touchdown, and he just dropped it. He had every right as the quarterback to sit down next to that guy and chew him out. He says, hey, man, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going to catch the game-winning touchdown. Pass. It's coming up. Don't worry about it. We're going to come back. Listen, it's, it's not that if you make a lot out of Jesus, you'll be a starting quarterback in the NFL, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you make a lot about Jesus, you'll win football games. 
They did win against the Bears, but they ended up getting knocked out by the New England Patriots eventually, okay? This is not a make a big deal out of Jesus and great things will happen because life is going to hit you just like Tim Tebow kept getting hit in that video. Life comes after us time and time again. This world is cursed with our sin. And what are we going to be focused on? Our situation and how bad things are for us. Our situation and how great we are and how we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and what we built and what we did or what we survived or what we made it through. Or are we going to be the kind of people who in the midst of struggle, in the midst of strife, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of everything going wrong or everything going right, are we going to make a big deal about Jesus? Are we going to decrease so that Jesus can increase? The main reason I wanted to show that video is because they put that microphone on that man somewhere on his uniform. I don't know where. They do that all the time now in the NFL. And it's like what they tell you with reality TV shows. For the first hour or so, you're very cognizant of the fact that you have a microphone on you and people are listening. But then you just forget and fall into your regular patterns, your regular routines. And so I just wonder, again, I'm not telling you that you need to sound like Tim Tebow. I'm telling you that we need to sound like the kind of people that make much of Jesus. If there was a microphone on you, if there was a microphone on me for the rest of this week, would the conversation that comes from our mouth, if it were broadcast for all to hear, anyone that wanted to go on YouTube and pull it up and listen, Would people catch us decreasing and magnifying Jesus? Or would people catch us self-centered, narcissistic, focused on me? Would people be able to say, now there is somebody who magnifies God Almighty? Or if they listen to that audio of us, would they say, man, I, I I don't even know that that person's a Christian. I don't even know what is coming out of their mouth. I don't know what I would categorize them as, but it is not as a Jesus follower. Those who are disciples of Jesus, we emulate Jesus. We emulate those who are Jesus followers, John the Baptist. We emulate those who made a big deal of Jesus by being magnifiers. And I'm just curious, are you a magnifier? Do you make a big deal of Jesus in your heart, in your life, in the words that you say, in the things that you do? Maybe this morning you're here and you don't make a big deal out of Jesus because you don't see the point. Because you've never believed in him. And I just want to encourage you, from the depths of my soul, it is worth it to follow Jesus. It is hard, it is a long road, but it is an abundant life of joy and peace and contentment that this world cannot touch. And it takes saying, I will take up my cross, deny myself, and follow Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever trusted in Him and committed to follow Him? If you haven't, I would love for you to come down and and speak with myself or our student pastor, Philip. We'll be down front here in just a minute. Maybe as you think through your Last week, you realize, I I don't know that I've been much of a magnifier of Jesus. What are you going to do different this week to change that? 
how are you going to make a big deal of Jesus this coming week? How are you going to be caught magnifying the greatness of our God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the truth that is found in it. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in our weakness, in our selfishness. Father, to make a big deal about you. Help us, Lord. Help me, Lord, to be the kind of person, the kind of pastor that points people to you every day. That my life would be the kind of life of a disciple, of a lifelong follower who is set on magnifying the Savior. May we as a church be known as a church that if nothing else People say, those folks at Bethany, they make a big deal about Jesus. It's easy to see that those people at Bethany are decreasing while Jesus increases. Oh Lord, may that be the testimony and the witness of our church body. May we be those kind of people. Help us, Lord, as we grow in following you to magnify your name. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't magnify your name because they don't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, that you would touch their heart and that you would draw them unto yourself and that today might be the day that they begin to follow you in earnest. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven.